This program is rated D for dog. It contains sniffing, scratching and doggy themes. Hello and welcome to the Top Dog Podcast. My name is Adrian Plitzko. I'm very happy you found us. You can relax now and hear what amazing stuff all these amazing people do with or for dogs. So, who will we meet today? Cody, the dog days are over is the title of a feature-length documentary about the human-animal relationship. Cody is an adopted street dog from Romania, now living in Switzerland with his new owner Martin Skalski, who happens to be the director of the movie. He will tell us how Cody has both challenged and changed his life. Olivia, some kind of poodle, is Yuzi's top dog. Yuzi remembers very well the day when Olivia on one of their walks got hold of a thing that has for us humans a specific purpose, but not for Olivia. She didn't think twice and, to Yuzi's horror, swallowed that thing in an instant. What a ripper of a dog, says Ron about his hunting dog Rip a German short-haired pointer. They both took me on a real hunting adventure in the Australian bush. But don't worry, we left the kangaroos or any other native animals in peace. It is the wild goats that Ron and his dog Rip were after. And here today, two episodes of the audiobook Pirate the Barking Kookaburra. It is going to be a big day for Pirate because he's going to school. His friends, three dogs and a cat, are teaching Pirate how to bark. Uh, I mean, how to laugh. Everyone deserves a second chance, no matter their past. This is one key message in the feature-length documentary, Cody, the dog days are over. It is a philosophical documentary about the relationship between humans and animals, in particular dogs. The main characters in this documentary are Cody, an adopted street dog from Romania, and his new owner, or rather human companion, also maker and director of the documentary, Martin Skalski. He tells us in the following interview how Cody has both challenged and changed his life. Top Dog. We speak dog. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me, for having me. Cody, the dog days are over. Can you please tell us what the movie or documentary is all about? It's a feature-length documentary basically about how dogs in general can change people's lives. Um, we start from my Rom formerly Romanian stray dog called Cody. His original name in Romania was Codilla, which sort of means the one with uh, the nice white tail. He came into my life when he was around four years old, um, and we now live as a family with him and my wife and our two kids uh, since seven years. And uh, he basically changed pretty much the way I look at things, and um, and and uh, he also changed ways of uh, like how we as a family do things and. Uh, I, I strongly believe the dogs have a great capability to um, change people's lives. And that's basically sort of the starting point of our documentary. We then travel to Romania to find out where he actually comes from. Um, you know, there's lots of people with stray dogs um, around here in Europe, from Romania, from Bulgaria, from other uh, parts of the Eastern European community. And they don't have a clue where their dogs come from and you know, I, I just thought it would be very interesting to find out where Cody comes from. And, you know, on the first uh, travel back to Romania, I met the woman who actually saved him from the street. 
and she uh, gave me that heart uh, breaking story of Cody actually living with a female dog companion for four years on the street. And obviously I, 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 I immediately felt like, okay, this is, there's a story behind this and I need to find out where this other female dog companion of Cody now lives, whether she's still alive or not. And um, we started the journey to find out whether she's still alive, where, 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 she, where she actually lives and, and tried to find um, all the surrounding issues, uh, like, you know, if we would actually um, make a meeting of these two dogs possible, what that would mean for the dogs, for us as, you know, their human companions. And yeah, basically that's a rough summary of, um, you know, all the topics that we tackle in the movie. And also we're asking ourselves the question, like, you know, a general human animal relationship and, and, and um, how we as humans actually interact with animals, not only dogs, but in general, um, whether we are, are willing to give um, animals rights, um, and what that would mean for our everyday life. I don't know whether that actually summarizes or answers your first question a little bit in long, but I probably also need to get into my English again. That's okay. Well, in the end, we want people to go and watch the movie. We're not giving away the ending of the movie. It's basically about the meeting that you're setting up between Cody and his old buddy Blanche is her name, I, I gather. Is that right? Yeah. So what made you think that Cody would miss Blanche? What were the signs that triggered your thinking or feeling that you need to bring them back together? There's several different um, key points to that. Um, first of all, when I was in Romania, I immediately felt when Christina told me that story of Cody and Blanche that, um, uh, that, that this explains to me parts of his behavior that I knew from, you know, living with him to that point, um, we spent like uh, almost a year already having him at our home and he was definitely not the most easy dog to handle. Um, he was having uh, quite some issues with aggression, with, you know, uh, fears uh, that he was carrying around with him and it always seemed like he's missing some sort of partner um, to to be with or who gives him that kind of security also because we as a family uh, me and my wife we weren't experienced in um, having dogs um, I was certainly not a person who has been living with dogs forever I never lived with a dog before so I was not experienced in having a dog and and you know a, a former stray dog from Romania who went through life on his own for four years on the streets is definitely a character and um, I felt like that he had the need to um, have somebody on his side um, who gives him security and strength. And um, <clears throat> when I heard that, you know, he used to live with a female dog companion who actually gave him that strength, uh, I felt like, okay, um, this is definitely something I want to go after. Then also, I thought um, this is a very, very interesting question in the topic of um, whether animals can actually feel empathy. Um, and I realized that there's a lot of people um, trying to make cases whether animals actually um, are capable of feeling empathy and what kind of empathy that could be. There's lots of um, philosophical um, yeah, uh, papers dealing with these sorts of topics. There's, there's uh, behavioral experts trying to find out about this. And we would have a sort of real-time experience that we could show to a, a broader audience when we bring Cody and Blanche back together. Um, so mm. th these are just two of the, of the thinkings that I had when starting to think about whether uh, we could actually arrange a meeting between the two of them. And obviously, Christina, who saved both of these dogs, Blanche and Cody from the street, 
she she was so into the idea of bringing these two dogs together because when she actually saved them from the street the first thing she wanted to do is mm, having them adopted um, as a couple but um, unfortunately that was not possible due to um, you know she was under pressure to save as many dogs as she could because in in Romania back at that time um, they had this so-called killing law enforced and um, Christina was trying to save as many dogs as possible from the street and um, basically she just had to agree that you know Cody went um, uh, first to Berlin and Blanche um, somewhere else and um, so she had to give this out of her hand and when somebody like me then came up with the idea of hey let's try to bring these two dogs together I think she was very fascinated by that as well it is a delightful movie and I was taken by the concept that you just explained, you know, do dogs have empathy and, and trying to uh, arrange a, meet a meeting between the two dogs. Uh, when I watched the movie, I have a bud here, but I had a brief and maybe rather uncomfortable moment when you, when you yourself meet uh, Blanche and her owner. So you had brought with you Cody's blanket and placed it in front of Blanche for her to have a sniff at it and Blanche's owner she burst into tears and it was a very emotional moment and you both agreed the owner and you that Blanche had recognized her lost body but I had this feeling that both of you somehow interpreted your own emotions into that into that moment um, so can you maybe in hindsight judge is, was it really uh, 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 an honest actual recognition of Blanche that she did she recognize Cody or did you both sort of wish that should be possible because dogs do feel empathy like we do well uh, there's I think also very various aspects to that as, a, as a, you know when I try to answer your question first of all um, Blanche we found out through research that Blanche lives um, with uh, Marsha in London um, and then obviously when I started uh, to build a contact with um, with uh, Marsha um, trying to find out whether you know that would be something that interests her as well if Cody and Blanche could meet um, I had to strongly try to build trust with Marsha because she um, basically is uh, a long-term expert in also rescue dog savings and uh, Blanche was actually with her as her third dog um, living with her in the house but she has um, sort of uh, being a foster place for many many dogs before and she had a very very strong relationship or she has a very strong relationship with Blanche um, <clears throat> so to your question whether we were interpreting um, our own emotions into that scene i am not quite sure what kind of emotions were there for blanche i only know what what emotions were there for me i don't even know what emotions were for marcia um, obviously we will never nobody will ever be able to clearly say what blanche's emotion there was what we see in the image is that um, that Blanche is sniffing um, this fur and shows a reaction to it and Marsha who is sort of her dog companion um, who knows her best um, reacts to it so basically it's transformation from um, Blanche's emotion into the interpretation of Marsha when she starts bursting out in tears and becoming so emotional um, and you know that's the beauty of documentary filmmaking in the in the very end that basically we show that scene not interpreting it for an entire audience but just showing it in an observing way so that every spectator can actually make their own interpretation now yours is the one that you just mentioned I think many other people will interpret it individually in, in, in various different aspects and, and that's the beauty of documentary filmmaking um, uh, I would say that you can observe a scene and as soon as it is 
put in a narrative context, narrative documentary context, it starts to make sense to one or the other extent. But this is basically um, more of a question of uh, how you want to tell a story in a documentary setting, I would say. I put two questions in one question. On the poster, on the film poster, it says, uh, well, the movie, the title is Cody, the dog days are over. And on the poster, it says how a dog changes the world. Uh, so how do you understand that? And the other question is, um, some critics say that your movie is rather of a philosophical kind. And would you agree? I, I start with the second question because it also has a, a, an effect on my answer for the first question that you had. Um, the answer to the second question is I would clearly say it has a strong philosophical background. And uh, I would also go with the line saying that the film tells more about us humans than more than about the dogs. Um, uh, and I think we are starting to, uh, during the, the journey, um, to try to find Blanche in the film and try to find also the surroundings that Cody lived in uh, back in his days in Romania. Um, we start to ask philosophical questions about liberty, about how we as humans actually deal with animals. We also have Mark Rowlands in the film, who is a well-respected uh, animal rights philosopher um, uh, from, from Wales originally. Now he's at the University of Miami teaching there. Um, and he answers questions all about, like, you know, the relationship between animals and humans in a very generalized way. So. Um, yes, I would say that um, the, the, the movie has a strong philosophical background. And um, this, again, uh, gives you a little bit of an insight why the subtitles, Cody, The Dog Days Are Over and How a Dog Changes the World, um, can be understood in the sense that, yes, a dog changes every person's life once they allow the dogs to get into their lives. Um, but to a, an extent that you know the humans choose um, and you can basically let, let your dog uh, change your life dramatically um, as has happened uh, with Cody and myself uh, but you can also pretty much say okay that's my dog and uh, he's there and, and that's fine but that's basically it and um, the dog days are over basically says to me, even though it is a term from, from meteorology, um, uh, it says to me that Cody's days as a dog um, in Romania um, were over at the moment when he was taken from the streets and brought to Berlin in the first place. But on the other hand, um, he gives us or has given us as a dog so much knowledge about um, uh, life in the sense of how we as animal as humans treat animals that um, you know he has given uh, inspiration to us and through the film now to a very very broad audience to rethink um, our relationship between humans and animals and therefore his dog days uh, are over also in the sense that he's now become a inspiration to many others uh, and also on the human side. That was Martin Skalski, the maker, respectively director of the movie Cody, The Dog Days Are Over. It was released in Switzerland in October last year, but the coronavirus pandemic has put a halt to the public screening. It is likely that the movie will be back in cinemas in Germany on the 30th of July. It also will be shown at the Top Dog Film Festival in Australia, New Zealand and other parts of the world. It is also available in DVD at the moment in Switzerland, later in Germany and eventually worldwide. Remember the title, Cody, the dog days are over and regularly check your preferred streaming service if it is available there.
Speaking of the Top Dog Film Festival, in an earlier episode of our podcast we spoke to the organiser, Jemima, and she gave us an interesting peek behind the scenes of a film festival. You will find that episode on our website www.topdog.space. Of course we were there when the festival happened in the Botanical Gardens in Melbourne in February this year. And there I met Jutze and his dog Olivia, some kind of a poodle. Jutze told me what makes his dog a top dog. And when he told me what appetite Olivia sometimes has or the kind of supposedly food she gulps down, it made sense to me that Olivia is truly a top dog. Did you choose your dog? Did you buy her? And yeah. How did it happen? Um, so um, we knew people who were getting a dog and they said there would be other puppies as well. So we went to have a look and then uh, we got her. Just like that? Yes. <laughs> so how long have you been having her now? Um, nearly a year and a half. Since she was a little puppy. Yeah. And you're the only one, because you're now with, I assume, your family yeah. sitting here. Are you the only one looking after her? Um, no, we share the responsibility of walking uh, Olivia. Did you have to make a promise that you will walk her? Because you were the one yeah. that wanted a dog. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, I did. And are you sticking to it? Um, yeah. So how does uh, how does it look like? I assume you're going to school or um, yeah, we made a schedule with who walks the dog and when. So um, sometimes I walk her before school and sometimes after school mm-hmm. in the afternoon. And how long is uh, a normal walk or an average walk for you? Um, at least half an hour, like 45 minutes sometimes. And what do we do on the walk? Um, we always go to the park and then we let her play with other dogs or we um, walk around the park. And do you play with her? What kind of games um, do you play? She just likes playing with other dogs, but sometimes we throw the ball if she gets bored, or sticks. What I always ask people is, does Olivia sleep in your bed or not? Um, no, I, I, I sleep in a bunk bed, so um, right. she sleeps in a crate. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the naughtiest thing that Olivia has ever done? Um, one time um, in the park she ate a rope that was about um, half a meter long. What? Are you serious? Yeah, but <laughs> it came out the other day. <laughs> um, in one piece? Yes, uh, very surprisingly. <laughs> okay, it was a different color, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> so were you worried that something, could, something um, bad could happen? Yeah, I think we were about to go to the vet, but then uh, she threw it up. So. so how did she manage to eat uh, half a meter? How, do you, how thick was it? Um, like a proper, uh, like a lead rope, yeah. kind of. Um, I don't know how it happened. Um, we were in the park and then she found it and she was just chewing on it and then she swallowed it. <laughs> and why do you think she's done that? I don't know. I think she just gets bored in the park sometimes and maybe she was hungry. <laughs> Has she ever has she ever eaten something else? Uh, oh yes, like <laughs> definitely. Um, paper tissues, paper cups, <laughs> regularly. Yeah, yeah. But they're not they're not coming out in one piece anymore, I assume. Um, uh. No, <laughs> but uh, we've never had to go to the vet. So. Um, and do you, has it has she changed your life since you got her? Um, yeah, definitely. I've never had a dog before, and it's so great because I go outside more often now and I meet new people in the park that's great what made you choose the name Olivia it came from Olivia Newton-John because I like the movie Grease so um, <laughs> <laughs> is she as pretty as Olivia Newton-John or prettier so. prettier both blonde so <laughs> <laughs> okay and yeah. prettier she's prettier was, yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay Jutze and his top dog, Olivia, and what is the lesson we have learned? Do not swallow a rope. Now I better hurry up and get ready for the hunt. Ron Jones from Melbourne is a passionate hunter, 
and like any other passionate hunter he has a hunting dog named Rip, a German short-haired pointer, a so-called GSP. Ron and Rip asked me to join them on a hunting adventure in the Australian bush. I said yes, but have to let you know not to worry because no animal gets hurt and there will be no blood. It was just fascinating to witness how a hunting dog works. And I have to tell you that it was a fairly windy day in the bush up on that hill in the Victorian countryside. You will hear the howling of the wind in the recording, for which I apologize. So let's join Ron and Rip, and as the Germans would say, Weidmanns Heil, which means nothing more than good hunting. I could be cheating now, I could pretend it's six o'clock in the morning, but I think it's not. <laughs> it's about midday. I'm standing here in the middle of the bush on top of the hill. It's windy, not sunny, and in front of me is Ron. Hello, Ron. Hello, how, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm a bit excited actually because the first time I'm going on a real hunt for what are we hunting? Yeah, today? we're going to try and get some goats here. It's, uh, it's a good area and we know that there are goats around here. Okay, but it's not about goats, it's actually about dogs, our podcast, and the big star is standing next to us as well, and his name is Rip. Hello, Rip. Hello. Can you... <laughs> yeah, I, can't get him, I can't get him to talk. I'm getting him to do most things, but I can't get him to talk. <laughs> All right. Well, I assume that he um, welcomes us or welcomes me. Yeah. Now, uh, we can't be too noisy, can we, because we're going on a hunt? No, we'll just, if we just talk along quietly... And we'll watch Rip work. Rip's a German short hair pointer, and he's—that's what we are using for for hunting. And he'll work along out in front of us, and we can talk while he's working. But as soon as we see him start to work properly, we'll know he's on something, and that's when we've got to be be quieter. How old is Rip? Rip—he's going to be six in August. Okay. And does he consider this work? You call it work. Does he consider this work or as fun? Oh no, this this is just an absolute ball for him. He loves it. He lives for it. And uh, have you had him since he was a puppy or a yeah. little guy? Yeah, I got him at three months old. And um, with him being a, a, a German short hair pointer, they're bred to hunt. So it's not you. You don't have to teach them to hunt, but you've got to guide them on how to hunt obediently and and that sort of thing and how do you do that i mean how does he know not to chase a goat or kill the goat well it's important that when you go out he sees a he sees a kangaroo you don't want him chasing kangaroos he sees one and if he goes to go off you stop him and that's where obedience comes in and with obedience the first thing when you get a dog is the first thing you do is teach him when you feed him not to eat until you tell him and that's the very first start of obedience and then you go to the next next stages where you start um, get scented things with the like he's a duck dog as well he retrieves ducks and you get socks with full of duck feathers and you start training him with the scent on what you want to hunt they know how to hunt but they don't know what to hunt all the time well, you hope that they don't have the killer instinct, do you? Oh, no. Yeah. No, he's not to kill. He, he won't kill. He will point, and he, he'll find the goat, and he'll point it, and he'll hold the point until I shoot the goat. Um, if the goat moves off, he, he'll move off quietly to watch where the goat's going. And, uh, and it's the same with a duck. If he gets a wounded duck, he'll bring the wounded duck back to you without killing the duck. They, they have a soft mouth. So... What is the purpose of having him? Is he finding the goat for yeah, you? Or yeah, he's finding the scent. The The goats right now as we're standing here, somewhere out in front of us that we're in about 400 or 500 hectares of bush. We know that there's goats out here and the goats aren't silly. If they see you, they'll go, they'll, they'll bolt. So the whole idea is ripple work out in front of us. When he gets on the scent of the goat, he'll start working and he'll work the scent until he finds a goat. When he finds a goat, he'll point. He'll stop. He won't go anywhere. And he'll look around at me and say, you know, I'm here, here they are. Come on, it's your turn now. So, and he'll wait there till I shoot the goat. 
he'll run up and he won't gnaw the goat, he won't do anything like that. He'll just go up and have a snip around and say, there we are, we've done our job. Right, so that's where the name comes from, Pointer. Yeah, German short air pointer, yeah. yeah. Silly question, how does he point? It's not with his paw? <laughs> <laughs> no, when he points, you'll see his tail goes up in the air and one foot will come up. Most one of the front feet will come up and he'll be just stiff. And and that's how he'll point, yeah. You had a, before Rip, you had another one. Yep. Well, it's the same name, Rip, as Rip, well, wasn't he it? He was Rip number one. How come? Uh, we just, when we get went to buy the first one, my wife and I, the first one was three months old, and I got hold of him, and, and uh, when I got him, I said, oh, he's a ripper. And then we said, what what are we going to call him? And that's how Rip came about. Mm, okay, better than Ripper. Rip. Yeah. Sounds nicer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he's really keen to go working, yeah. Rip, so he's waiting for us. Yep. Uh, so he's standing here next to me with the gun. It's a... Two two three. Two two three. It's, it's a serious weapon. It's our friend's uh, gun that because I wasn't prepared today, but he, um, it's uh, like you say a two two three rifle, and, and it'll be perfect for the goats. Okay. Yeah. Now for to all the animal friends, I'm hoping myself too. We won't have to shoot one, but you're the hunter. You have you come from a different different world, so to speak. Uh, what have you to say to animal lovers? Why are you shooting animals? Well, what we'll do, for a start, if the farmers want these goats eradicated up here, that's number one. But number two, we'll shoot one, we'll shoot it humanely, and, and when we, we've dispatched the goat, we'll bone it out, and we'll take all the meat back to Murray, our friend, and we'll have a feast in, in days to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we eat meat, other people eat... Uh, Salads. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, then let's go. Let's uh, go. I will shut up now. Okay. I'll turn the microphone off for a minute, and then once once Rip has actually uh, smelled something, then uh, we'll yeah. turn it on again. Okay. So we've been walking for a while now, and quite dense bush more or less now in front of a, a bit of green and you sort of changed your look in your face Ron because you're watching Rip what he's doing, what is he doing? Well you can see there, see how it, something seems to be interesting him there he's not sure it, there is something up ahead, he's not sure what it is but he's just taking it easy and uh, as soon as we do get something positive we'll know the way it acts so okay so we don't have to be too alert at the moment no no we don't have to be alert yet he is he's just slowly doing his working jobs and and the most important thing for us is to watch him we also have a look around but we watch his actions what he's doing and we'll know when he when he finds something what makes your job easy doesn't it seen a couple of kangaroos hopping in front of us. Has Rip seen them? No, Rip hasn't seen the roos, but as, as we said just before, we could see he was showing some interest in something ahead. He could smell them. He got the scent of them. He knows he's not to chase kangaroos, and he doesn't, but he still gets the scent of them, and he still knows that there's something there. He hasn't physically seen the kangaroos, but even if he did, he, he won't chase them. Oh, we let them go, we're not shooting kangaroos, are we? No, yeah, we're not shooting kangaroos. Crawling through the bush, more or less, and the whole time Rip has been in front of us, running backwards and forwards to the left and to the right, and every now and then he stands still and looks back at you. What does he tell you? What does that mean? Well, first of all, he always wants to see where I am. He doesn't. He he doesn't want to wander off from me. Um, and also, there's he knows that there's kangaroos out there. We've, as you're aware, we've seen a lot of kangaroos. Have you noticed? Rip won't chase the kangaroos. And and mind you, when we see a goat, he won't chase the goats either. That's not his job. His job is just to find them. Um, so um, yeah, that's the only reason he looks back. And sometimes, if he finds a goat. He'll look back to see where I am to say, 
are you with me? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm doing here. So how come uh, he knows to point to a goat but not to point to a kangaroo? He had he, he had many, many opportunities to point to a kangaroo, but he didn't. Yeah, because over the time, he used to point kangaroos, but over the time he's been pulled off them. Okay, so he knows now it's just a waste of time to, yeah. to point them. That's not what we're after. Now, you've got an orange beanie on, and he's got an orange uh, coat. Is that because of partner look? <laughs> <laughs> no, what it is, a hunter should always wear blaze. Um, I do a lot of deer hunting and in the bush so that a, a deer can't see a blaze colour, and a blaze is sort of a, a, a bright orange with dark, streaks of dark through it and a deer can't see that properly but other hunters can see it so if Rip's out in the bush and he's hunting and with his blaze jacket on another hunter sees him he might think he's a wild dog if he hasn't got it and just shoot him mm. but with him having the blaze jacket on a hunter should realise that he's not a wild dog That's, yeah hive his jacket so to speak shall we continue a little bit see yeah if we are lucky against us today Adrian and um, but next time maybe we can come out and put a full day in and, and uh, have some luck yeah well now dogs like to please or are keen to please their owner and um, Rip wasn't lucky today because he had no chance to point out at something do you see any disappointment or dissatisfaction in him no he's had a day out he just loved being out here he loves it right okay so he doesn't mind if you don't no. find anything. No, he'd much prefer it if we had a, if we had a good day and and yeah. and, uh, and got something. But uh, no, he's fine. They are highly active dogs anyway, pointers. So how do you keep him busy when you're not hunting? Because you're not going hunting every day. Yeah, well, he comes to work with me every day. I'm a real estate agent, and he spends us all day in the office. Um, he hunting customers. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Actually, all all the clients that come into the office absolutely love him. Uh, their GSPs have got a great nature and they're terrific. The only problem is when they wake up in the morning, they're full of beans, give them a, whirl, a walk and uh, take that zip out of them and they're just beautiful natured dogs. Okay. Good. So, no goats today. Uh, what's for dinner tonight? Some salad and mashed potato? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to be a vegetarian today, Adrian. Yeah. Good. Well, Ron and Rip, thank you very much for taking us to a hunt. It was really exciting. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Adrian. Thank you. That was Rip, the German shorthead pointer and his human companion, Ron Jones. I hope I didn't promise too much. No one got hurt, there was no blood, but a lot of tension and excitement. And I'm sure Ron did enjoy his vegetarian dinner on that day. Now it is time for a new episode of the audiobook Pirate the Barking Kookaburra. In fact, today you will hear two episodes. What do we know so far? Pirate is a lost bird popping up one day in the backyard where the dog Stelze lives. Her friends, two other dogs, Ajax and Hoover, and the cat Buddha are wondering where Pirate comes from. Their effort to trigger Pirate's memory fails and they finally accept that Pirate is one of them. Pirate also embraces his new life as a member of a pack, but an encounter with other kookaburras leaves him confused and very sad. He realizes that he's not a dog and at the same time not a real bird, because he can't laugh as kookaburras do. So the dogs decide to send Pirate to school to learn how to laugh.
Stelzer woke up and found Pirate curled up hard against her chest, his head buried deep under his wings. Her instinct told her that something was bugging Pirate. What's wrong? I don't want to play today. Pirate mumbled from under his wings. He feared bumping into the kid kookaburras a second time. They would only tease him again, laugh at him and push him over. He felt a strange tingling deep inside his chest. Did it make him sad or did it make him angry? Pirate could not tell. He didn't know. Actually, he knew nothing whatsoever. That is what he thought. All he saw in his mind was the boulder the dogs called the Whistler. But it was not at the northern end of Tantraboo. It stood right in front of him, in his path, and it was much bigger, gigantic. There was no way to walk around it. Did you have a bad dream? I wish I had. Well, that's good. When bad things happen in your dreams, you can't change them. But you can when they happen in real life. Pirate lifted his head. Is that so? Yes, it is, mate. Buddha jumped onto the couch. It is possible to change things in your life. If you can't do it yourself, mate, you can always ask your friends to give you a hand. Or rather a paw. So... Why don't you tell us what happened this morning? Pirate told them everything about his encounter with the kid kookaburras. When he came to the part where the kookaburras pushed him over, a tear was running down his cheek. He had to tell the story all over again as Ajax dropped in. He too wanted to know what happened. Pirate crawled out from under Steltz's chest and hopped onto her leg. This time, as he spoke of having been pushed over, there were no tears. He only had watery eyes. Once he had finished his story, Ajax said, What a bunch of bullies. Finally, Hoover joined the group. Pirate had to tell the same story again, a third time. He hopped onto the couch's armrest and told Hoover how the kookaburras teased him, laughed at him and pushed him over. But this time, his eyes stayed dry. Once he had finished his story, Hoover said, What a bunch of bullies. Bullies are cowards. And that's the truth, mate. A bully puts you down to make you feel lousy so he can feel great. Pirate was not sure if he understood what Buddha just said. This was again one of his complicated phrases. Steltzer put her paw on the armrest next to Pirate. Oh, what are we going to do about you? I wish I was able to laugh. Everybody fell silent. They all looked at each other and every now and then shrugged their shoulders. Finally, Buddha stood up. He raised his tail and said, I guess it is time we teach you laughing, mate. A rumour spreading through the valley of Tantraboo said that dogs cannot laugh. It said dogs can only bark. However, Steltzer, Ajax and Hoover would suggest that dogs were able to laugh. After all, they did it themselves every now and then, and so did Buddha. This was proof enough that cats also can have a good chuckle. Buddha actually knew the art of laughing back to front. Teaching Pirate was his calling. He was very serious about it. Pirate's first lesson shall be at dusk. At the fence next to the gum tree, he said, and ordered Ajax, Hoover and Steltzer to set up the classroom. Pirate could hardly wait. Going to school must be a lot of fun, he thought. He was very excited and followed the dogs all around the farmhouse, bombarding them with endless questions. When does school start? Is it time yet? What is the teacher like? Do I get a school bag? What are you doing? We are collecting blankets for the classroom. Where is the school? Will the teachers be nice? Do I have lunchbox? What are you doing? 
I'll have to drag my blanket back to the classroom. Will I go to school every day? Will you come too? When is school? Is it time yet? What are you doing? I am concentrating, mate. Buddha answered, sitting on the fence post. Do not disturb me. Under his watchful eye, Ajax, Hoover and Steltzer placed one blanket in the middle and the remaining four around it in a half circle. These are the chairs. And now, we need desks. He ordered Ajax, Hoover and Steltzer to roll up four big logs and one small log from behind the shed. That took them a while. The logs were heavy. Will I make friends at school? Will I get my school bag? Can I have sweets in my lunchbox? When is school? What are you doing? Having a break for dog snout's sake. Hoover answered, panting and throwing himself onto the ground under the fence. You could hear in his voice that he was begging Pirate to shut up. Under Buddha's instruction, Ajax and Steltzer set up one log on each blanket. Buddha walked around them a few times with his stern eyes, asking for adjustments here and there. Eventually, at dusk, long after the sun had set, everybody was allowed to take a seat behind a log. Buddha, of course, sat in the middle. Welcome to my classroom, mates. Uh, students. Good evening, Mr Teacher. This is the time of the day when kookaburras sit in the treetops and raise a wild chorus of rolling, raucous and crazy laughter. Now, who of you students knows that distinct kookaburra laughter that sends a shiver down your spine if you happen to find yourself stuck in the bush at dusk and don't know what on earth you are hearing? I do. Ajax quickly said, Woof! Woof! Get out of here! Hoover interrupted. It goes like this. Bow! Wow! No, no, no. Listen to this. Ruff! Ruff! All three looked at Buddha, wagging their tails and waiting for his appraisal of who did the best kookaburra laugh. Buddha, though, had pressed his paws against his ears and was rolling his eyes. I see... You still have a lot to learn. Anyway, that's what you're here for. Well, first of all, in order to have a good belly laugh, the laughter needs to come from the bottom of your belly. Buddha was a strict teacher. Nobody was allowed to smack, to lick their bums, or have their tongues hanging out. And nobody was allowed to stick their beak into their plumage. Everybody had to sit still, Pirate was very happy to obey his rules. He was proud to be a student and keen to be a good one. He paid great attention to Buddha's demonstration of how to breathe in the air, how to push it down the belly, how to squeeze it out again and attach a sound to it. They all had to practice it over and over again, and every time it sounded like a bunch of crazy dogs going mad. Woof! Eventually, Buddha asked Pirate to step forward. I can't hear you, mate. The blooming dogs are too loud. He ordered them to keep quiet and asked Pirate to show him what he had learnt. Pirate spread his wings and took a deep breath. He took in a huge amount of air until his cheeks blew up and looked like fully blown balloons ready to burst. With all his might, he pressed the air down his stomach, waited for a heartbeat, squeezed the air back through his throat and shouted, Ruff, ruff! Everybody fell silent. Ajax froze, Hoover pricked his ears, Buddha dropped his jaw. Holy fishbone. He's barking. I mean, he's laughing. Steltzer had a tear in her eyes. Oh, that's my baby. Pirate was stunned too. He expected to laugh like a kookaburra. 
but now he barked like a dog. He tried again, breathed in, pushed the air down, squeezed it back, and out came again. Woof, woof. Wonderful, Buddha said, proudly raising his tail. Mission accomplished. There was a lot of cheering and even dancing going on for the rest of the evening. Everybody had a ball. They told each other jokes and did funny things and laughed their heads off. Pirate was unstoppable. He was eager to refine his barking. Ajax taught him how to yelp. Hoover howled for all it was worth and Pirate copied him with ease. Only the growling proved to be difficult. He tried hard, but every time it was nothing more than a bubbling sound or a gurgle in his throat. Not quite right, Hoover said. That wouldn't even scare a fly. Steltzer suggested he needed to practice more and encouraged Pirate to concentrate on the barking for now. She told another joke and made everybody laugh and bark again. Even late at night, once Pirate was curled up with Steltzer on the couch half asleep, he every now and then let out a soft woof, 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 woof. Steltzer woke up every time but quickly drifted back to sleep with a happy smile on her face. Only Buddha got a bit funny with Pirate. At one stage, he yelled down from the rooftop, Hey, mate! Are you trying to shoo away the stars or what? episode 8 and 9 of the audiobook Pirate the Barking Kookaburra. There are many more chapters to come, however if you can't wait another four weeks for chapter 10, go to the website bubenberg.com and purchase there the whole audiobook. Again the website www.bubenberg.com And that's it for today. Thanks for having me in your ear. You'll find Top Dog Podcast everywhere on the net or on your favourite podcast portal. And remember to leave a comment. That will alert others that we exist. You can also write to us if you wish, adrian at topdog.space or visit our website www.topdog.space where you find many more episodes. I'm Adrian Plitzkow, thanks for having me and bye for now, go well.